as we open in worship, as we crown him King of Kings, Lord of Lords, crown him with many crowns. Sing along. Amen. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. We welcome you to Sunset Hills Baptist Church this morning. It's so good to see y'all y'all this on this day where we celebrate freedom. And as we just sang, we can crown him with many crowns because he died eternal life to give. And that's a gift from our holy and precious God. Amen. It's so awesome that he does that for us. If you're here this morning and you're a visitor, you're a guest, we are so honored by your presence and we'd love to get the chance to, know, uh, the chance to know you more. On your way out this morning, one of our people at the welcome desk out there would love to meet with you and get to know you more uh, so we can serve your family. Uh, if you're watching online on our live stream this morning, we're so glad that you've chosen to tune in this morning and hear the best news ever, the best news about being free. Uh, God gave us freedom freedom to make our own choices, freedom to follow him, and he gives us the freedom, and he gives us our country that is the best country in the world. Amen. Let's continue to sing about this freedom in Christ. Oh, beautiful, for spacious God. 
freedom that we celebrate as a country here today. But God, most importantly, we thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we get to celebrate in Christ. Lord, because you gave your very best, we can stand here and sing about the hope that we have to spend eternity with you. God, we just thank you for that gift. Lord, it wasn't a free gift. God, I know that it cost you so much. God, I just pray that we would not let our Lord Jesus die in vain, but that God, we would, because of the blood that he shed, that God, we would take advantage of the opportunity, Lord, to be one in your family, God, to have the opportunity to spend eternity with you. God, if there's one here who, for whatever reason, has never said yes to you, Lord, I just pray that today, on July 3rd, that, Lord, their family Bible can record that they officially became a child of yours. God, as we lean into your word here today, God, we just thank you for your message. God, let it speak to our hearts. And God, if you convict us, let us be obedient, Lord, to your call. Lord, everything that we do, Lord, let it lift up your kingdom and bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated this morning. Check one, two, there we go. It's my fault. I didn't turn my microphone on. And best, would you rather me have a microphone on or off? Don't answer. Thank you. I'm glad. <laughs> I was afraid my, I was going to hear a, a, a chorus of off, please, let's go home, get it over with kind of deal. I thought it was interesting in Kelly's prayer that he said, let us have our names recorded in the family Bible. And uh, I, I'm just wondering, how many of you have a family Bible that has, has recordings in it? Uh, Kelly, you said something that is most people don't even know about or have these days. But I'll tell you this, when a person decides to follow Jesus Christ, their name is recorded in something much better than the family Bible. It's recorded in the book of life in heaven, right? Amen. I hope your name is recorded there. Last week in my sermon, we spent some time talking and thinking about thinking. And I'm just curious if any of you did any thinking about my sermon on thinking. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands just in case you didn't. If you did, great. If you didn't, well, guess what? You have another chance this week because there is so much more to talk about in thinking than what I was just able to cover last week. So we're going to work on your thoughts for yet another week, okay? that fair enough? So here we go. Here's a short recap of last week. Your thoughts are important. They're powerful. Thoughts form who you are. Thoughts thought consistently become patterns and patterns establish lifestyle thoughts that we think about regularly determine our actions our values and our morals 
Ultimately, our thoughts make up who we are. You are, as you've heard it said many times, you are what you think. And so the Bible has much to say about our thinking. Often, rather than using the word thoughts in Scripture, it will use the word mind instead. Jesus himself once Answered a, when, uh, answered a question when one of the experts, uh, you could call him a know-it-all. He was an expert in the law, or at least he thought he knew everything. So this expert asked Jesus, what is the most important commandment of all? You know the answer to that, right? You know what I'm going to say. Jesus replied in Matthew 22, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all of your, say it with me, with all of your, with all of your, so, and with all of your, right. So really, all of that's really talking about our thoughts, our inner being, who we are, everything that makes us up. We're to love God with our heart, soul, and mind, to love God completely with your mind is to include Him in your thoughts. Actually, it's not just including Him, because what we're supposed to do is to focus on who God is. And we'll see more about this shortly. Then the Apostle Paul comes along and has much more to say about our thinking. Now, we need to remember that there had been a total transformation in this man by the name of Paul. This man who went from persecuting Christians. Now, it's important really to, to wrap your head around that. I think so often we become so familiar with Paul, we forget about his history, where he came from, who he was before he became a Christ follower. This man was a persecutor of Christians. He goes from that kind of relationship of just making it hard on, on those who were following Jesus to leading people to follow Jesus. What a transformation. So that here's these people who are following Jesus and Paul, he goes from a man who's putting them to death to now saying, you need to think about God through Jesus Christ. So watch what he says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Last week I read it from the message. This week I'm doing from the NIV where it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Now, just kind of keep in mind that this is your true, that phrase, this is your true and proper worship. We're going to come back to that shortly. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your of your mind. Remember? It's our thoughts. You want to tra be transformed by the renewing of your thoughts. Then you will be able to, to, you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you see it? Do you see what Paul is saying here? First of all, let's just kind of go back and focus on who he is. He recognizes the enormous effect that God's mercy had on his life. And for anyone who was certainly a recipient of God's mercy, it would have been Paul. He didn't deserve, remember his past? 
He did not deserve anything good from God. But God says, I'm going to look beyond where you are right now, and I am going to show mercy on you, Saul. And later he becomes Paul, becomes a leader within the church. What is mercy? Well, in the Bible, God's mercy means his pity, his compassion, and the kindness that he shows toward people. Theologian Jonathan Edwards didn't mince words uh, when he defined mercy. Here's what he said. God is pleased to show mercy to his enemies. Wait a minute. You would think that sounds pretty good to say he's pleased to show mercy to his friends, but he's saying what Edwards is saying to his enemies according to his own sovereign pleasure. Though he is infinitely above all and stands in no need of creatures, yet he is graciously pleased to take a merciful notice of poor, I like how he says this, worms in the dust. You ever thought of yourself as being a worm? It's what you are, according to Jonathan Edwards. Yeah, and you're not just a worm, you're a poor worm in the dust. This poor worm by the name of Paul certainly needed and received mercy. But it happened only, his, his understanding of this happened only after his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And when, he, when Paul understood this mercy that he receives, he recognizes that God was tenderhearted, loving, and compassionate toward him. And so he kind of puts this in his, in his letter that he's writing. He says, since you have received this same kind of mercy, the fact that you exist, the fact that I exist, and I said it's the fact that America exists, is only by the mercy of God. God could take you, He could take me, He could take out America just thinking it in a split second. And the only reason we're here is because we are recipients of His mercy. Even more, when we receive forgiveness of our sins, he shows mercy that we don't deserve through forgiving us of our sins. So if you've been saved through the belief and faith in Jesus Christ, mercy has triumphed over judgment that you and I deserve. Now there's a warning to that also. Refusing God's mercy is disastrous. Let that sink in a moment. You've got a choice, either accepting the mercy that God offers, but by refusing it, that's a choice also, and where that leads to is disaster. So he's saying to the believers, since you've received this mercy, he goes on and identifies, offer your bodies as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. He says, do this as an act of worship. And he goes on to say now, don't be transformed by the world. In other words, don't live as they do. Don't think as they do. And then he tells us to do this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here Paul's talking about our thinking. Don't let the external patterns of this world 
control your thoughts. And last week, I told you that every person is engaged in a battle for your mind. Has you been, have you had a battlefield going on in your mind this week? The answer should be, yes, I have. Let me ask it again. Have you had a battlefield going on in your mind this week? Well, do any of y'all have any minds this morning? Okay. Have you been engaged in a battle this past week? Man, I, I, don't, I may have to do a dance up here. It is a tough crowd today. Here, if you've got your mind being engaged in battle, then you're normal. You're human. You have a pulse. Every one of us, we have a battle that uh, is engaging our minds. And I I made what I believe was an important statement of recognizing the influence that culture has on us by stating this. We live in a time when culture is screaming at you on how you should think. Is that not right? Culture is telling us how to think. And so we constantly have this external pressure that's coming in, trying to infiltrate our minds, telling us what we should think. My wife and I have been, well, actually, she's been the one doing it. I think I've told you we had a, a, a yard sale, a, a, a junk sale uh, several weeks ago. And it's because she was going through all of uh, the closets and the attic and different things. And she was pulling all this stuff out that she thought was of great value. And it made about two cents on a dollar for her, actually a little better than that. I guess that she thought it was worth it, so I'm sure we'll have another one. You all should come check out our junk sometime. And give us some money in the meantime. At any rate, I had been procrastinating on doing the thing that I needed to do, and that was clean out our closet. Okay, my closet, my side of it, my little side of it. She has this much, and I have this much. Y'all know how that works, right? See, you're with me now. <laughs> so I'm going through and I'm pulling out some suits that I have had in times past, okay? And because I have lost some weight, which I don't recommend the way that I lost the weight by any means, but I lost some weight, and guess what? I discovered that I could wear some suits that I once wore a couple of years ago, or 10 or 12, I don't know. They had dust on the <laughs> coats. They hadn't been worn in so long. But the problem is, is the world tells me that today I can't wear those suits. You know why? Because they have pleated pants and cuffs. You know? I, I understand. I, do you, do, I don't have pleated pants today, and I don't have cuffs. You know why? Because culture says it ain't cool. You know what I'm going to say? You know what? If I want to wear that suit with pleated pants and cuffs, I'm going to wear that suit with pleated pants and cuffs. And I could care less what they tell me. Now, you say, well, why didn't you wear it today? <laughs> it's a battle for the mind, right? Sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. Culture is trying to tell us a lot of stuff 
of how we're supposed to look and act and dress and what we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to act. And here's Paul coming along and says, don't go there. Don't let culture scream all these things to you because of what it does to your mind. Now, let me just say, really and truly, you know what it does? It pollutes your mind. It corrupts your mind if you're not careful. If you're taking in too much of what they're trying to tell us of how we're supposed to do life, you will develop a corrupted mind. Is there not an amen in the house for that? But here's the thing about that, is we can't blame all of our thinking on culture. We're all capable of conjuring up thoughts our own. There's that external pressure that's there, but also we have that internal pressure telling us what to think. And guess what? That internal pressure, that's my conjuring up, that's my ability to think, can be good, but it also can be bad. Paul goes on, he tells us how we're to handle both the external and the internal thoughts that we have. So he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, by humility and gentleness of Christ. Remember, I mean, this is a guy who has become hum uh, humble and he's become gentle. He wasn't that way before. But he's now saying, look at me. And he's saying, by this humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bowed toward you and went away. Where had all of this meekness and mildness come from that he's now describing this, this hard man, this hard-nosed, intolerantly strict sectarian Jew from the outset? Since he, uh, But once he became face to face with the risen Christ, he had seen him. But later he becomes a, a disciple. He's changed by the Spirit of God. And now he's writing to this different group of believers than he was what we were talking about earlier when he was writing to the Romans. Now he's writing to the Corinthians, and he's saying this about them. He goes in, he addresses again, it shows the importance. This is how you should think. I beg you, in verse 2, when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. There it is again. He said, I know that there are some people out there that are living by the standards set by the world. I'm hoping, I'm praying that their life will change, maybe through my writing here, this, this warning, that you're not, when I come to you, I don't have to really let you have it. He goes this, watch this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the war, as the wage war, wage war. I'll get all my W's right in a minute. Wage war as the world does. In other words, we are to live differently. We're to think differently. And that leads to acting differently. Again, from last week, thoughts we think regularly determine our actions, our values, and our morals. John Maxwell wrote this in the book, Thinking for a Change. If you're willing to change your thinking, 
You can change your feelings. If you change your feelings, you can change your actions. And by and changing your actions based on good thinking can change your life. Thinking to action. Paul goes on, he says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Now, let me just stop there, and I'm going to come back to this, finish this in just a minute. This, this, this weapons of the world, what does he mean? Well, about this, this, this war that we're being waged, what's he talking about? See, the world wages war in the physical, and we wage war in the spiritual. What sets us apart from the non-believing world is that we have weapons of faith. If you're a believer, you have an arsenal that's available to you. Your weapons of faith, they are what we are to fight with. And these aren't weapons that we uh, conjure up, that, that we manufacture. These are divine weapons that come from God. He, is, he has given those to us. What are the weapons? Well, I'm just going to give you several, all right? Faith, what are the faith weapons? First one is the Word of God. Ephesians 6, 17, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's our sword. It's the Word of God. This is, uh, this is what Jesus used when he was fighting Satan's temptation. It's been described as, a, uh, as he, when he was in the, in the wilderness. And what does he use? He uses scripture to combat that temptation. We have the weapon of prayer, the ability. Do you understand really what prayer is? I mean, we've studied about it. We've talked about it. All of us have the ability to speak to the God of the universe. Let that sink in for a second. To talk with the one who knew us before we were ever formed in our mother's womb. The one that we can go to and tell all of our concerns, who knows our past. He knows our present thinking, even as we are unable often to, to, to say our, uh, the words that we're thinking. He, he knows the condition of our hearts, and He knows what tomorrow looks like. This is who we get an opportunity to talk with, to know that when we have a need and we don't know how to express that need, we still have the ability to go to God and, and, and voice our hurts and our concerns, maybe in what's described as groanings. God understands that. We can talk with God. And that's a powerful weapon of faith. Worship is a spiritual weapon. O King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and a coalition army came up against them to defeat them. And Jehoshaphat was afraid. You ever been afraid? In that moment, he did what any great leader should do. He called for a prayer assembly and a fast. And during the prayer assembly, God gave the battle plans and assured them that they wouldn't need to fight because God would be there, would go before them and defeat the enemy. <clears throat> so early in the morning, they began to prepare. And Jehoshaphat did something odd. Ahead of the army, 
marched worshipers who sang and praised God. They began to say, praise the Lord, his mercy endures forever. And then they began to sing and pray, they, they were praising the Lord saying, when, what scripture says, now when they began to sing and praise the Lord, uh, praise the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. All of this happened because of the worship. Worship is a powerful weapon to destroy the enemy. But it's more than just songs. Worship is a condition of the heart. Another weapon we have, a powerful weapon, is we have the name of Jesus. You're familiar with the scripture. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those in heaven of those on earth and of those under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father you know we may get concerned about what's happening in our country we may get concerned about how we think that the non-believers are taking over everything. But let me just say this. In what the scripture that was just read, at some point, every knee, every tongue will confess before the Lord Jesus. And that should give us hope. The name of Jesus is a powerful, incredibly powerful weapon. Another weapon that we have is our story. The enemy may come with, at you with lies and deception, but he cannot convince you what God has done in your own personal life didn't really happen. All the ways that God has come through for you, all the miracles that he's done in your life, all the ways that he has provided for you and for me when we had nothing, the healing that has been done in our heart, and often in our own body. See, all of us who are believers, we have a testimony. And your story, your testimony has great power. What's another weapon of faith? A heart of thanksgiving. There is nothing the enemy wants more than to try to get you riddled with discontentment, anxiety, worry, depression, envy, covetousness, gossip, complaining, slander, so on and so forth. That's, that's those external things that oftentimes become internal because we have listened to them too much. So to, to combat this, we're to, uh, these negative distractions, the Bible tells us to do something else. And I'm going to come back to this verse in a minute, but in context, but I'm taking it out here just for a second. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, it says, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Certainly, a heart of thanksgiving is a great weapon. 
But then here we have maybe one of the greatest weapons of all, not to diminish all the rest of them because they're really all equal. But quite often, we as believers, we don't utilize this enough. This weapon that we have is the presence of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, Jesus told his disciples, The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance to your mind all that I've said to you. This gift is given to all who are believers. It's God dwelling inside of us, teaching us and reminding us of the things of God. Doesn't the Holy Spirit do that with you? It's convicting us of our sin and helping us in our time of temptation. He is a source of revelation, of wisdom, and power. He is our guide to all truth, including knowledge of what is to come. This, this Holy Spirit power that we have empowers us with spiritual gifts. He's helping us in our times of weakness. And when we are unable to, He's interceding on our behalf. This Holy Spirit, this power, this weapon of faith is leading us in the process of becoming holy through sanctification. He is that still, small voice that is present and powerful when we're accustomed to listening for it. And those are just some of the spiritual weapons. Ephesians, Paul lists some others. He says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, he goes on, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you use these weapons that are available to us? What this says to me is we're not in this fight all by ourselves. We have God who has given us divine weapons available at our disposal. But here's the deal. We have to choose to use them. And you can only choose to use them if you know about them. I don't know if you're like me, but quite honestly, I've found that much of the battle for my mind is internal as opposed to external. That internal pressure that's telling me how I should think. And quite often, I'm not careful, I become a victim of my own thoughts. Uh, let me illustrate it this way. It's no secret that I'm a woodworker. I think I'm pretty good. I'm not boasting, just telling you if I'm not as good as Lewis Justice, but I'm okay. But I'm continually trying to learn my craft. And as I have become a better woodworker, I have gained some wisdom on how to use my tools safely. It's not always been that way. 
For when I first started doing woodworking and working with tools, I had several accidents, mostly involving my fingers. I just happened to list them all out, so hang in there with me. This finger has been crushed by a hammer, cut with a utility knife, necessitating a, a trip to the urgent care in 10 stitches. It has also been nailed to, through with an air nailer, not once, but twice. <laughs> These three fingers were caught in a router bit, causing several weeks of healing and almost losing the end of this finger, which I did lose my fingernail. This thumb caught kickback from a table saw that laid it wide open. That small piece of oak continued to travel past my thumb, hit me in the stomach, leaving a bruise that I'm pretty sure matched the end grain of that piece of wood. <laughs> and these three fingers got caught in a chop saw as I was reaching across the table before the blade stopped. It's a wonder I have any fingers left, right? You know what? They were not accidents. If you do something intentionally, it's not an accident, right? In every situation... I knew how to operate the equipment safer than what I did. In every situation, a thought flashed through my mind that I should not do this right before every injury. Don't leave your finger there when you're driving that 16-penny nail and hitting it as hard as you are. Don't cut toward your finger with a razor blade in your other hand. Don't leave that finger there when you're air nailing, you idiot. You did the same thing twice. <laughs> I mean, these are all thoughts that were going through my mind just before I had injury. Use a block to route that small piece of wood. Use a feather board to avoid kickback on a three-horsepower table saw. You cannot block a piece of wood that's coming at you at 120 miles an hour. The safety instructions state, wait until the blade stops before reaching for what you're cutting. All of these thoughts went through my mind right before the stupid injuries that I incurred. I knew better, but I did them anyway. You see, it was a battle taking place in my mind. Pressure to do the job quicker, quicker which meant carelessly, and I placed that, value, that, that, quick, that speed over safety. It was really placing stupidness over wisdom. I think we do that spiritually also. We know better than to act on those bad thoughts, but we get careless and do it anyway. This could be as Paul describes it back in verse 4. 
these weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. In other words, use the weapons that are available to you so you can avoid the stupid decisions in life. It's not like what the world has. On the contrary, they have the power. Here's what those weapons that we have to fight with do. They destroy, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are the strongholds? The kind of thinking that uh, keeps us hamstrung. Strongholds are, are, are those thoughts that keep pulling us down or causing you to think opposite of Christ-like thinking. They're the negative, the self-seeking, the self-serving thoughts that lead you to sin. And we humans, we're inclined to do stuff wrongly. We think wrongly, and then we act in wrong ways. That's the process of thinking and action. So what does Paul say about this? We pick up in verse 5 of Philippians 4. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And here's what we do. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. As Christians, we're to take our thoughts captives and make them obedient to Christ. What thoughts? Every thought. If we capture our thoughts, each and every one of them, even the ones that seem good, but are a bit self-seeking and make them obedient to Christ, guess what happens? It makes a difference on how you live out the actions in your life, and that makes life easier. This is the heart of loving God with all of our mind. It's the grid in which we uh, filter everything we think. Godlike power comes from Godlike thoughts. One of my favorite scriptures is found in Philippians 4 and goes through all of this. So let's put it in a context here because it really captures a great contrast between our how our thinking affects our lives and our actions between the good thoughts and the negative thoughts, between thinking and action. We've already looked at a couple of these verses. Let's put it all in context. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, where you go, here we go again, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Here's what happens. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And watch this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's the thinking part. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. There's the action. Thinking leading to action. How might this work out in practical terms? Here's how it works. Faith instead of worry. Hope 
instead of despair, love instead of hate, trust instead of doubt, courage instead of fear, joy instead of sorrow, admiration instead of jealousy, determination instead of resignation, gratitude instead of complaining, self-respect instead of self-condemnation, forgiveness instead of guilt, generosity instead of greed, just some of the ways that that works. So with all of this going on, let me ask you a question. What thoughts do you need to capture this morning? What thoughts do you need to capture in the nighttime when no one's looking? What thoughts do you need to capture that is your Achilles' hill of temptation? What thoughts do you need to capture that starts the process of leading you down a path of moral failure? Or what thoughts do you need to capture when you're with your spouse or your children or your friends, enemies, or your co-workers, or in any other relationships? What thoughts do you need to capture? What thoughts do you need to capture that become an obstacle to your relationship with God? You, want to know, you don't want to know how to receive that peace of God? Your thinking is a great place to start. Would you bow your heads, please? Scripture says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Heavenly Father, I pray that we're thinking about truth. I pray that we're thinking about what is noble. I, think, I pray, Father, that our thoughts on, are focused on what is right as opposed to wrong. I pray, Father, that our thoughts are surrounded on things that are pure as opposed to things that are unholy. Whatever is lovely, Father, that our thoughts are there, rather than those things that are so ugly that we should really just, even if we spend any second thinking that, we're repulsed by those thoughts. And Father, I, I pray that our thoughts are admirable. 
That is, we come in contact with others in relationships that rather than thinking bad things about them, rather than thinking about revenge or how they hurt us, rather than thinking about how I can get even or any other thoughts about disliking, our thoughts go to thinking admirable things toward that person those things that are excellent, those things that are so cool in our lives that we can't help but be in a sense of awe and praise. Paul tells us to think about these things. This is you telling us through the inspired Word of God. Father, I pray that if we have thoughts that need to be captured this morning. And right now that you'll bring them through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we will allow the Holy Spirit, this, this powerful weapon of faith that's available to us that, that calls things out, that we'll give permission to the Holy Spirit to look into our minds and see those thoughts that don't please you. The attention's drawn to him and say, what are you going to do? I brought them to your attention now. What, what way are you going to, what's your action going to be in your life? And then we get to a point where we say, Lord, renew my mind so that that becomes the way that I think first. If we're here this morning, Father, and you're convicting someone of thoughts that they need to do something about it. I pray that they bring that before you, either as where they're sitting or in a moment standing, maybe by bringing it here to this altar and saying, Lord, this is such a stronghold on my life that I've tried and I've tried and I've tried to, to, to break this stronghold. And, and, and I, I bring it before you and say, I need you to help me overcome these, these thoughts. So I'm bringing it here in this altar because I'm serious about it. And I really want that peace that comes from, from surrendering all of my thoughts, all of my mind to you. I, I bring it to you this morning. And I lay it down. And I ask for your help. Father, if there's a decision here that needs to be made for you this morning, publicly or privately, I pray we'll not leave here without surrendering it to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you please stand? And I invite you to come to this altar. You say, well, I don't, man, that's embarrassing. No, it's not. Because really and truly, you know what? is the truth. Every one of us ought to be down in the altar. 
because of the battle that goes in our mind. Sing, worship team. As the deer panting for the water, so my soul longeth after Thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to back up just a minute on the screen. I don't know what your plans are for the 4th of July. Maybe you've got the time off or spending time with family. Or maybe you're going to be tearing out a shower as my wife has me doing at home. I pray that we would go into not just tomorrow but even right now with this thought you alone are my strength you alone are my shield to you alone may my spirit yield you God you're my heart's desire you're my soul's desire you're my mind's desire. And I long, I long to worship you. Let's sing that chorus again. You alone are my strength, my announcements that we'd like to just remind you of uh, ladies in our ladies ministry 
Um, there is a Sunday, Sunday social coming up, and that's July 24th um, at 5 o'clock. If you're planning on attending that, ladies, um, they need to know that just so they can prepare for you properly and be expecting you uh, with excellence. So if you would let Lynn Durham know, uh, she's going to be out in the foyer here after service. Uh, they may have a sign-up. Is there a sign-up out there? Yes, there is a sign-up. So please sign up. That way there's plenty of ice cream and all those fun toppings and all the things that go along with a Sunday. Well, I can tell there's something going on behind me, so I am going to yield for just a moment, and I'll be back with you in, a, in just a couple of minutes here. Thank you, Pastor Kelly. Well, as y'all know, we got VBS coming up. Uh, Miss Julie, I'm going to have her come up here while we're getting set up. She's going to tell you just a couple things about VBS. We got a lot of people that are on board. We got a lot of kids signed up already. It's going to be a great week starting next week. Miss Julie, you want to come up here and tell us about it? She says she probably doesn't need the microphone. <laughs> for our for our folks at home here, Miss Julie's going to tell us a little bit about our VBS. All right. Good morning, everyone. Well, uh, as you know, VBS is coming up, and the most exciting part is that no one in this area has the VBS that we're doing, which is concrete and construction, because it's two years old and they couldn't do it during the pandemic. So ours will be different than anyone's. So please make sure you tell your friends, your friends' kids, those folks that are unchurched, please tell them because it's going to be a great time. There's a lot of things planned. But as you know, it takes a village to put this on. Some of which, did you know, we've got security, admin, crafts, music, everything. So, if you've not volunteered, today is the day to do it. You can tell me or Pastor Mike, because there's so many different areas to go. Now, another thing is, a lot of folks that are working are helping us. So, you can even, if you're not helping with VBS, you can help with maybe some meals for the staff. I think we have two days that we're looking for that you can bring in meals for that. Uh, so just let us know if you'll help. Uh, Mike's got some great things planned. There's a lot of people that are helping that you may not see that day. So we really thank you for that. So. Thank you. That's right. Thank you, Julie. Wednesday, uh, this Wednesday night, we're going to be decorating the lobby. And here we're going to be making cranes and buildings. And we're going to have a quick song here we're going to play for you guys about brick after brick, God is building his temple. And as we listen to this song, these guys are going to build two different buildings out of these blocks. Okay, you guys can go ahead and start. Build. Now, one team's going to build them on the floor, as you see right here. And the other team is building it over here on top of a juice box. This is a little juice box right here. Let's see how this goes for these two teams. One, as you see, is building on a firm foundation, which is the stage right here. And the other is building. Oh, that one fell down there on the juice box. Yeah. Try it again, guys. Try it again. How's it going over here? Do you guys get it up? Give them a round of applause. They got this one up. Nice firm foundation. How's it going over here, guys? They got two up. John Sawyer, how's it going? Uh, horrible. These guys know what they're doing. We practiced this this morning. The point is, is that when you build your life on Jesus, what is it, guys? It's a, it's a firm foundation. It's a firm foundation. But if you're building your life on other things that may be exciting, may be really fun, 
Come on back over behind here, John, sir, so they can see. When, when you build your life on things that might be fun for a while, it, it's fun for a while, but then eventually, as you see here, well, what happens? Uh, it falls down. It falls down. So come sign kids up. On the way out, there's going to be people. Uh, give these guys a round of applause for their perseverance. <laughs> five. Please grab a postcard. Yeah, what's up? What? Can I knock it down? Yeah, let's knock it down. Go ahead. Three, two. There it is. That's the best part, right? We're actually going to be knocking down something on stage at VBS next week. Hey, um, why don't you guys go on back there and help hand out postcards at the doors. On the way out today, y'all, um, grab a VBS postcard. It says concretes and cranes on it. Mail it to someone you know that uh, has kids that can come hear about Jesus. Or better yet, go to their door and just knock on the door and give it to them and tell them we'd love to have them. The sign-up is uh, right on there. Um, we'd love to have more volunteers for VBS. If you're interested, come talk to me after service today. Um, we're decorating this Wednesday night from 5 to 8 o'clock. We hope to see you here. We can put you to work. And if nothing else, if you can do nothing else, if you have plans, if you're going to be out of town, you can still be a part of this. Please pray for us. Please pray for the kids and their families um, as we do VBS this year. Man, he's staying with us as we close in prayer. A lot of things going on this month, so uh, be checking the calendar. we got a big family fun event coming up at the end of the month, so we'd love to see you there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, God. Thank you for... Um, God, this week that we are setting aside to invest in the lives of young people, God, we know that that investment, God, is not going to come back void, but that, God, you're going to use it to uh, plant seeds and grow hearts, God, that are going to be fond of you um, as these young kids uh, grow up, Lord. Lord, as we go about our way, let us everything, let everything that we do, God, point to your kingdom and, and, and add to your uh, glory in heaven. We love you. And Keep us safe until we return here next week. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, everybody. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615 776 1807. One of her pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. And let me say this from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope, and you and I we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.